Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, all the week's headlines have been dominated by Manchester City's match at West Ham, but unfortunately for Pep Guardiola, it's not been about how good the side were in their 5-0 demolition of Manuel Pellegrini's team. Instead, the focus was on what was and wasn't given by the video referee. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, we're going to celebrate City's performance as they set their stall out for the new season early by soaring straight to the top of the table. How many will Raheem Sterling score this year? Will Riyad Mahrez come into his own? Why can't Sergio Aguero take a decent penalty? All the answers are coming up. Also in today's show, we'll be looking back over a 20-year anniversary of one of the strangest red cards the club has ever seen. Plus, we'll look ahead to Saturday's match with Spurs and hear from Howard Hawking as well. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio this week, we've got former City striker Leon Mike. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. You? It's looking very lonely on that side of the desk, isn't it? It is, yeah. We've, uh, we, we should have had a second guest for you, uh, but unfortunately, uh, they couldn't make it at the very, very last second. So, uh, you've just got me and Leon tonight, which... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll muddle on through, I suppose. Yeah. Um, first off then, Leon, the, uh, the the league picture. It's a great start to the season. If uh, if a little rusty in the performance in the first half, um, you can't really complain with a 5-0 win on the opening day, can you? Not at all, no. I think you expect a bit of rust on the first sort of first game of the season, first couple of weeks. Um, but some of the football that was played, Raheem looked really, really sharp. Um, the movement was there again. Um, Aguero came on, Mr. Penn. So he took it, scored. <laughs> so he's got his he's off already up and running uh, for this season. So it's a great start. Five nil. You can't ask for more than that first game of the season. Do you think it's it's worrying for the rest of the league that City looked at that performance and went, well, we didn't think that was good enough. I'd say the last <laughs> two years have been quite worrying for the rest of the league. In all honesty, um, I don't know. We'll just see how the season unfolds. Obviously, it's first game of the season. There's been a couple of big results um, elsewhere too. So you kind of just see. I think the tough periods will tell in the season, as always, um, leading up to the winter, Christmas, and then sort of March, February, March, when the legs start to go a little bit is when you uh, find out where everyone's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I must admit, I uh, I was I was out on Friday night, and uh, I was in a I was in a thing where it was a without going completely off tangent, it was a thing where they lock your phone away so you can't you can't see what's on your phone, okay. um, and so I was out from about six o'clock till about half past ten where I couldn't couldn't see the phone mm-hmm. and all the way through it I'm not going to lie I was sitting there thinking well maybe Norwich might have done something <laughs> against Liverpool maybe, <laughs> maybe they, they might have done yeah. you, know, you never know uh-huh. I mean Liverpool they had a bad pre-season they looked rusty mm. and I came out with that and, and checked the score and I was so disappointed yeah. and it's one game into the season mm-hmm. Why I promised myself I wouldn't let myself get involved in that this season mm. And yet, one game into the season, here we are, and we're looking at each other's results. And you know, it's you just get the feeling it's going to be like that again this year. I think that you'll definitely you've you've kind of the last eighteen months have created that rival between yourselves, um, and not just the two the two elevens that go out on the pitch, um, also the that's fans as well. You know, you had the the city bus getting attacked when uh, City went to play at Anfield, 
Um, so there have been things off the pitch that have happened as well. Um, also, the history between Manchester and Liverpool. <laughs> just when you put those two things together, there's always going to be fireworks. So yeah, um, I think the first result you'll look for every Saturday, Sunday or Monday, is going to be that one. Yeah. Um, what What do you think the feeling is now after seeing both City and Liverpool at the start of this season? Is Is it going to be those two that are, that are the leaders again? Um, I think probably. Probably. Um, I don't think it'll be as sort of runaway as last season. I think um, the other teams around them have uh, strengthened and improved a little. So I don't think it'll be uh, as runaway as last season. But um, I don't think you can look sort of past those two teams at the minute. Liverpool, for me, their style is is a lot more one-dimensional um, than that of City. In It's that they work hard, they press high, they win the ball back and they, they try and get the ball forward as quickly as possible. That's their style. The pressure... Of, of trying to catch City uh, might tell on them at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well. We look at City's attacking options. When you think about the game at West Ham, you know, Aguero came off the bench. You know, Sane obviously not there with uh, with his injury. And Raheem Sterling has, has just, I mean, can the can the boy set the bar any higher? He just keeps getting better. Well, I think he's 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 at the sort of on the precipice of, of something quite special. Um, he's He's at that, he's probably in the... He's probably just below the likes of your, your your Ronaldo's and your Messi's. Obviously, everyone's kind of below those two. Um, but he's inching up towards that kind of standard. And if he goes and gets thirty goals this season in the Premier League, Champions League, and you know the various cups, that's no mean feat. Um, you know, it, it, it'd be. Is there a thirty goal season coming? Do you think? Uh, I think so. Yeah, with Raheem. The 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 one thing I oh, the reason I think that is because he can play anywhere across the front, anywhere. You could put him in behind a striker. You could put him as a central striker, or in either of the wide uh, positions. Um, and defenders don't know what to do with him. I mean, if he's running freely um, at the without the ball at the last line of defence, and he's got people like De Bruyne, Silva, uh, Rodrigo, who look quite good. Uh, just the other just day. feeding everything through. To him. Uh, yeah, how do you stop that unless you just literally park your defence on the edge of the box? So he's going to cause a lot of teams problems this season. How how do you think he'll develop? Because like you were saying there, he can play across across the front three. Um, I I think it's been interesting watching him under Guardiola because in in Guardiola's first season in in 2016, you know, Sterling played on the left through through Pellegrini's time mm-hmm. and not really that effective. Guardiola yeah. moved him to the right and got his confidence going on the right hand yeah. side. Yeah. The following season, you know, he he, he destroyed the league on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. Then la- last season, he actually played more on the left, cutting in. Yeah. And had that trademark sort of Raheem Sterling goal where he cut in on his right foot and bend it past mm-hmm. the keeper. Yeah. And this season, I'm kind of getting the feeling that he might be a bit more of a central player. Possibly so. Um, you know, it's no secret Aguero's not getting any younger. Um, Jesus is still probably being unlucky not to play um, a consistent part in the team so far. Um, and I think if you look at Raheem's performances for England, as much as he got slated for them, he made a lot of space for Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Jesse Lingard. Um, in, in making runs behind defenses, you know, pushing defenses back with his, with his pace, basically, um, and he's clever running, um, and he's he's just come on so far, so much since Guardiola's um, got his teeth into him. He, he's he just looks like a you know complete forward player at the moment. And uh, another player that had a rough time of it last year, let's be honest, uh, that looked pretty good in that game at, uh, at West Ham, of course. Only one game, but you know, it's, it, 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 you can't argue with having an involvement in all five goals. Uh, Riyad Mahrez looks like, he looks like he's come back with a point to prove. Well, yeah, not only got a point to prove, but you've always got to sort of look at the first season. 
that a player comes to a football club and it's always going to be settling. You know, very few, probably more than less than 1% of um, new signings will go straight into a, a club and, and catch fire straight away. And also we've got to look at the, the, the type of team he was playing for. You know, um, Leicester's tactic for the last four years has been hit Vardy in behind as soon as possible. Um, that's not what City are about. So he had to come in and, and, and just learn. change entirely. Yeah, yeah, he's had to he's had to learn to change. Um, which you know, for any footballer, is good. Um, and it, but it's whether you can get through that, and hopefully he gets through it. What role do you think he'll play with with Sane's injury? Because a, a lot of people were looking at, at at Sane as as you know, if he didn't move to Bayern Munich, which mm. you know, obviously the injury put a, put a dampener on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he if he did stay and was part of the first team setup, then it closes a lot of avenues for Mares. With with Sane not being available for, for such a large part of the season now, Bernardo Silva might move out right. You know, you've got De Bruyne and, and David Silva in the middle. Mm. Riyad Mahrez may be on the, uh, on the left or the right. If, if that's what Guardiola's thinking, I, me personally, I look at Mahrez and he's always been a player that plays off the right, coming on inside in his left foot. He's going to find it tough getting in into that front three. You know, you've got Aguero and Jesus and now Sterling for the, for the central positions. Um, I know Sane's um, injured probably for most of the season, but um, the two wide positions, um, you'd, you'd look at Bernardo Silva and, and, and Sterling being one of the others um, if Aguero and, and Jesus are playing. So he's still going to find it tough, but if he can produce performances like he did last week, then it's going to stand him in good stead for the rest of the season. <laughs> As well as the Blue Moon podcast, if you want the best coverage of Manchester City, then you could try The Athletic. It's completely ad-free, there's no annoying pop-ups or anything like that, and there's a world-class team of writers. If you want to give it a go, then head over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Blue Moon and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription at £2.50 a month and a 30-day free trial. Um, You're also going to see a familiar face there as well. Hello, Sam Lee here. That's right, Sam, who's often on the podcast, is doing their City coverage and he's been busy already this season. I've been reading a piece this week he's done on on City's new signing, Joe Cancelo, where he's spoken to a load of people close to the player to find out how he plays, how he trains, what sort of systems he'll fit into, and even what situations on the pitch he finds it easy and difficult to deal with. If that's the sort of thing you like, along with things like his piece on Zinchenko and Angelino being key men at City this season, and how that jigsaw all fell into place for them, then head over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash blue moon to receive 50% off your yearly subscription and a 30-day free trial. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Right, I'm delighted to say that uh, the, the the bods at Blue Moon Podcast Towers have been working all the way through uh, the first part of the show, and we're now joined by the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Jack, hiya, how are you doing? Hello, you all right? Not too bad, thanks. Thanks for uh, for stepping into the breach very late on. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you now because we've uh, me and Leon have just been chatting quite extensively about Riyad Mahrez and uh, Raheem Sterling. Um, one other key player for City at, uh, at West Ham, I thought, was uh, the introduction of Rodri. How do you think he settled in? Yeah, he looks to have settled in really well, doesn't he? Um, I think City are playing slightly differently with him. De Bruyne, uh, De Bruyne's dropping a little bit deeper to cover the space, but that's kind of unlocking him, uh, which means that City can play through the midfield even even quicker than they were doing last season. I think the big thing about Rodri is his positional sense. It doesn't seem to stray from that kind of anchoring uh, position too often. Um, which means that he kind of compensates for a lack of pace. But I mean, his uh, his distribution is amazing. I mean, watching him on at the game on Saturday, he's just uh, I don't know. I'd love to know what his uh, 
his heartbeat is a, a minute. <laughs> he's, he's taking balls like 10 yards out and just like popping them off to centre halves, left backs, whatever, without kind of a, a moment's fuss. So it's it's quite a positive sign, I think, from from their point of view that he's he's fitted in seamlessly. Um, and the players, whenever the players have been asked about him, got asked about him on Saturday or on tour, they've all said they settled in really, really quickly, which got to be a massive, massive boost. It's maybe a bit early for this one, Leon, but uh, City have been crying out for somebody to do the Fernandinho role and, and replace Fernandinho. You know, the, the, the idea is that he might drop in as, as a centre-half this season. Um, is Rodri the man to do that, do you think? Of? I mean, it's only one showing in the Premier League, but he's, he's looking good, isn't he? He's looking good, don't get me wrong. Um, he's just got some really big boots to fill. Um, Fernandinho has been probably behind Kante um, in being you know one of the most adept at that position. Um, and it's going to be a tough ask for him to to fill those boots. What it's about is consistency. His quality is obviously uh, not in doubt. Um, you know, even a lack of pace, as you were saying there, his positional sense and reading of the game, he's going to be great. It's just that consistency. Can he do that for 38 games in the Premier League, which is 100 mile an hour for 38 games, plus the Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup. It's it's a long season. It's long on the legs. Um, it's tough on the legs. So let, let's give the boy a chance. Let's get to Christmas at least and see where he's at. I remember saying the same about Fernando back in the day. So not necessarily one game is, uh, yeah. is something to judge on. Uh, yeah. Now, Jack, in, in the stadium, um, what was it like with the VAR decisions? We're moving on to the VAR stuff now, which I, I, I fear I don't want to dominate this part of the show, but it might do. Um, what was it like having having those play out while you were there? It was better than it, than I've experienced in FA Cup ties over the last two years. Which is a positive, but I still I just I can't abide it. I hate it. Um, I'd far rather live uh, live in a footballing world that kind of relies on actual humans on the pitch, and the human error is a a brilliant part of the game. I just the screens are, the screens are good and they're a positive move, but you still don't really know what's going on until it's actually happened. Um, and it was too slow. It's still too slow. I mean, I went to a Premier League briefing before the season started um, and came actually came away from that, having spoken to Neil Swarbrick and a few of the Hawkeye guys, and was quite positive about it because they were talking about um, that they'd use the the area for the for the referee on the side of the pitch. They'd use that sparingly, whereas obviously at the Women's World Cup, you, you saw them use them all, using all minutes, the time. Um, and that decisions will be made very quickly and they it will be delivered to the crowd via the screens very quickly as well and just sadly it just didn't happen but i mean the, i guess the teething problems um and man city unfortunately the same as liverpool are going to be a var team var is going to dominate their games more than other sides in the premier league purely because of the speed they play and the amount of time they spend in the the attacking third and I suppose as well, when you look at someone like Sterling and Aguero and, and Jesus, the amount of time they spend on the opposition defensive shoulder, it's it's going to be the offside call is going to be the one again and again this season, isn't it, Leon? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I, I'm, for some instances, it's good, but for the main, it's slowing the game down way too much. Um, and I hate this thing where, and I know it happened before, but it's not going to happen. It's going to happen a lot more now. Where you score a goal, you celebrate like mad, then you have to wait. 
for that goal to be confirmed before you can celebrate again. Well, I was I was going to say this. The first couple of goals were celebrated normally, and then they celebrated the one that was disallowed. Yeah. And then after that, Sterling scored, and he waited. Yeah, you wait. You, you, that's what's going to end up happening. Players are going to end up waiting. Fans are going to end up waiting because you're going to get sick of um, so, uh, you know expending all your energy and and you know screaming at the top of your voice because you scored a goal to have it ruled out two minutes later. Um, I personally think that similar to tennis. Um, every team should get three challenges a game. Then it's down to the team, the managers or the, the captain to challenge a decision, get it up on the VAR screen. It is a penalty. It's not a penalty. They are offside, not offside, etc., etc. Let them have three challenges and leave it at that. Misuse your challenges, that's it. You, yeah, yeah, because tough. I just think right now, we it's just anything kind of goes. You know, you can have a 90-minute game. We're going to end up like American football um, where you end up having a 90-minute game going to last two, three hours because of all the you know the decisions that need to be made via VAR it's ridiculous well i've got the, uh, the 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 explanation for all the VAR decisions very briefly there the, uh, the the Raheem Sterling goal was ruled offside because his shoulder was beyond the line um you can play the ball with your shoulder and at which point it's been decided that that was beyond the beyond the line it's got nothing to do with it being clear and obvious that's the, that's because offside is a matter of fact so mm. so whether or not it's clear and obvious you know you, you wouldn't say the human eye would spot that sort of thing mm. but it doesn't matter he was he was beyond the line yeah. uh, there is going to be a review about how how that's done in, in in future whether you know the clear and obvious errors are going to be weaven or woved into the uh, into the offside law mm-hmm. uh, but that's not going to happen this season that won't be done until the the next board meeting for the for IFAB which is later in March yeah. uh, the penalty was retaken because of Declan Rice's encroachment not yeah. because of Adria uh, not Adrian um uh, Fabianski coming yeah. off his line um it wouldn't have been retaken if uh, if uh, Declan Rice hadn't cleared the rebound and uh, Mike Dean didn't check the monitor because it, it was again a matter of fact it's not a subjective yeah. decision uh, the monitor check as Jack said was is only going to be rarely used in the Premier League because the officials see themselves as a team and they trust each other to get mm-hmm. it right um, all that being said Jack uh, did you find out the reason for the uh, for the penalty retake as uh, as quickly as as those watching on telly did what do you reckon uh, my hunch is no, you didn't. <laughs> no, maybe that was that was my own idiocy. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I should have should have seen it because um, we saw two or three replays. I, but I was just focused on Fabianski um, during the replays. You're obviously not looking at other things. And the one like the main, well, not the main takeaway, but one of the, one of the takeaways from those three incidents is the Gabriel Jesus goal. Just goes to show that the offside rule is an absolute joke. So Sterling. Is offside because his shoulders like a millimeter beyond the defender, which I just I can't get on with that at all. But Jesus, I know it's a second phase of the, but Jesus has got an advantage by running beyond the last man in the first place. So why is he like he should be offside really, shouldn't he? Yeah, if he's in, the, in the sense that the he never beneficiary in the sense that he never got back onside and no. o- only got onside by by Sterling taking the ball past him. You mean? Yeah. Which I, I can't, I can't really get on with that either. Um, I just think it's unfair to to defenders. So the whole thing's a bit of a a bit of a mess. I think the the interesting thing on on this sort of thing is is that we obviously we need some sort of benchmarkers as to what offside is because at, at some point you're going to say well that that one's marginal but that one's not sort of thing and a lot of people suggest daylight but daylight doesn't do anything it just it adds the same problem of uh, of where you've got the boundary you're still going to get those millimeters decisions yeah, you still yeah you still got those tight calls haven't you I I was I was wondering if if the law should just be where your feet are. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd have that. 
That's what, yeah, yeah I, 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 I think the same. I think the legs, um, I mean, let's let's be straight, right? Um, the offside rule is for is to stop players from the attacking team from goal-langing. So, someone's shoulder, the finger, the toe, the knee being offside is not a part of them. It's not a reason as to why offside is a rule in the game. What advantage does Sterling get by, by leaning none, slightly forward? None. And let's be straight, you know, if... if if the two centre halves, um, the two West Ham centre rounds are standing there with their arms up, and it's only Raheem Sterling's shoulder that's offside, that's on them. You know, any manager will tell you, play to the whistle number one, and if if you are literally a shoulder offside, and the defenders are standing there with their, you know, with their arm up saying offside, you know, you haven't done anything. That's not a skill. You haven't your defence hasn't been that brilliant, and you've you, you've made him offside by a shoulder. You've got lucky. You know, so just some common sense applied to 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 the to the um, and like you say, you know, a, a definitive um, a description of what the rule is. What is the rule, Jesus? If you're standing ten yards offside in the first place of play, but you're not active, and then you suddenly become active, in my opinion, you're offside. You should be, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't be allowed to because you're, yeah, you're basically goal hanging. Yeah, yeah, you're basically goal hanging. It's not rocket science. They're tr- they're complicating it where it doesn't need complicating. Now, Jack, how did the how did that decision to disallow that Jesus goal did that change the momentum in the game at any point? West Ham had their most encouraging spell of the game immediately after that because well, it was it was celebrated in the home stands like a goal. Um, and then they kind of had a couple of waves of attacks and Edison made two very good saves um, from kind of a, a long ball into the box. Uh, and it took, I think it took City kind of two or three minutes to kind of regain the composure. Um, and Pep spoke about it after the game, and which is something I don't think many people had kind of realised going into it, is the, the emotional impact of a team scoring a goal, having it disallowed... And that kind of that has got to have or leave some sort of mark and impression on you in the like minutes immediately after. Is it is it any different though? In in all honesty, to uh, scoring a goal and then looking up to see the linesman's got his flag up. Yeah, because that's that's then done, isn't it? It's not that in this in, in this instance you kind of you've been awarded a goal, effectively, particularly on Saturday because they all walked back to the to the halfway line and were ready to kick off. It took that long. So they're actually they've reset, haven't they, in the mind? Whereas if you look up and the and the linesman's got his flag up, then it's like right, well that's offside, that's a shame. Yeah. But at least it's happened within a second. Mm, yeah, I think that's not just for the crowd in terms of celebrating, seeing the flags up, and thinking, oh, it's offside. For the players as well, if you know, if you think you score a goal, you look across, you see the flags up, you know that's hundred percent offside. Your your next reaction is to get back in position. On a Saturday, as as Jack said, they walk back to the halfway line. It's it's just taking the human element out of the game, and that's what a lot of the rules um, tend to be doing: is stopping supporters, um, you know, supporting the teams properly and stopping you know players celebrating properly. It's ridiculous. Was it any good to watch on telly? What in terms of the game or in terms of the the decisions with VAR? The the VAR did it? No, you know, no, I have I find no, or... no, I don't find any value in it in that sense. I, Football already has drama. You don't need VAR <laughs> no. to introduce drama. Aguero's goal that won you first title in God knows how many years should tell you that. You don't need VAR for, for, for there to be drama in a football match. It's pathetic. 
All I could think of is, it, it, I don't know if either of you, this is one of the most left field things I've ever said on this show, but I don't know if either of you have seen uh, Casino Royale, the, uh, the first Daniel Craig Bond film. All I can think of is that bit at the start where, where he, he just keeps saying, stop touching your ear to the uh, yeah. to the other agent. Yeah. Because that's all I, that's the impression I had of Mike Dean. He was just stood in the center circle with his hand on his ear and that's yeah. all we were looking at. That's yeah. all we could see. Yeah. Loves it though, doesn't he? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he's not the only one, to be fair. I remember yeah. Paul Tierney in that uh, that FA Cup game. Was it Spurs Rochdale? That was uh, <laughs> that was a sight to behold. As long as he didn't get a couple of lines shaved into his head, and uh, like a certain ref did, then it'll be all right. <laughs> hey, um, one final thing for the for the first part of the show. Um, there's been a lot of fuss kicked up about this afterwards, but I I don't really think this is a new thing for City, Jack. Uh, tactical fouls. Um, City've been good at this for a while, haven't they? Yeah, they've been great. Yeah, the. Um... Right, the problem City have got with the tactical fouls, and I've got absolutely no problem with it. It's it's been going on for years, years and years and years. Teams have been doing it. It's just City are a little bit cleverer at doing it than others, which is is not just uh, it's not exclusively tactical fouls, is it? it? But the main issue they've got is unfortunately for them, Dominic Torrent is on record talking about how City tactically foul. The opposition, which was in an interview that a few of us did over in New York last year, and he actually detailed the kind of the rules that they have, where it's like win the ball back in five seconds or foul them. So, in that sense, it's out there in the open that they admit to doing it, which makes it an easy stick with which to beat them. But I mean, they're all at it. Jack Wilshire said after the game that he'd love West Ham to to be able to. To do that because they're 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 a team that wants to go and attack, but they're not they're not savvy enough when when they get turned around in midfield. He'd love West Ham to be like that. So I don't know. It's I said to someone else earlier in the week, covering City is very difficult at the moment because you try and find new things to go at uh, and new angles to to write about, which means that you know. Tactical. We're talking about tactical fouls, or it's become a thing when it's not really a thing. Is that what? Is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it is. It is a thing. They, there were tactical fouls on on Saturday, but I don't think anyone within the game's got a massive problem with it. I don't think any manager's got any problem with it. I don't think any players, even um, opposition players, have got a problem with it. Um, I think if you look historically over the past thirty years, um, the best teams in the world. I've always been good at it. Um, it's just gone under the radar, and it's sitting under such a big microscope now because they're so such a good footballing club. Um, you know, as Jack says, you, you you're going to look for any little thing to, to kind of uh, new angle to kind of write about and, and look at and you know magnify. Um, and I think they will find it a problem at some point. I think refs will start reacting. Because I'm sure refs listen to the radio, watch the TV, and read the papers. So listen to the Blue Moon podcast. They do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think yeah, it will become a problem for City at some point because people will start to point at it, and you know I'm sure at some point we're going to hear Klopp say something about it. I bet he's got absolutely no problem with it, but I'm sure it'll come out of his mouth at some point. That Mourinho Mourinho referenced it. Yeah. If not last season, the season before. He did. Yeah. He did. So, yeah, you're definitely going to get uh, a few people having a dig at it. I always think the other way around as well, because I know City fans get get sometimes get quite annoyed by the uh, the difference in foul stats, because they always, they always talk about how, how many, the number of times City have committed a foul, that, despite the fact that they have the vast majority of possession. And I always think it, it boils down to the fact that City generally get advantage when they've been fouled, because they're that good on the ball. 
then like, it usually either falls to one of their players or they've won it back before the referee's got his whistle in his mouth. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're on the attack again. So they, yeah, yeah. they just play on again and again and again. Yeah. So it's not uh, not really a massive, uh, massive issue. <laughs> Now then, moving on, and you know we're all about the anniversaries here on the Blue Moon Podcast. We've marked the years since the playoff final, the takeovers by Taksin Shinawatra and Sheikh Mansour, and even to special games like the FA Cup comeback at Tottenham. This week, a very special anniversary almost passed us by. I've rolled back the clock to August 1999, when, 20 years ago, City fans witnessed one of the most bizarre red cards they've ever seen. Looking like a quarter lick. Run up on me, you get hit. Let's paint the picture of what life was like for City back in August 1999. Freshly promoted from the third tier, the team were hoping for a solid start to the new season after the drama of beating Gillingham at Wembley the previous May. But that's not what happened. They opened the campaign with a 1-0 loss at home to Wolves and then followed that up with a 0-0 draw at Fulham. And it was in that stalemate where City's captain, Andy Morrison, was sent off after an altercation with Stan Collymore. I was having a general banter with, with Stan through the game, you know, and uh, I don't think Stan was in a particularly good pace, place at the time. You know, he'd come on loan from Villa and it was well documented. He was struggling with uh, with his own issues and, and I had no intention of, of bringing them to the fold, you know. But uh, we, had a, we had a slight fallout. The incident happened midway through the second half. City had defended a Fulham attack well, and the ball bounced behind for a goal kick, with Morrison and Collymore both hitting the deck. As they stood up, there were words exchanged between the two. It was then alleged in the papers the next morning that Morrison licked Collymore's nose. No, I didn't lick his face. That's uh, That was what uh, people said. Morrison says it actually had a very simple explanation. We had a slight fallout, and... Um... You know, and it made a few comments to me, and, I, and my comment was, "I've got you licked. You know, you've not, you've not had a kick, you've not had a shot, you've done nothing. I've got you licked." It was then that things began to take a turn for the bizarre. He said, "What?" And I said, "I've got you licked." So I made a gesture of a lick, and uh, and I, I just, you know, it. The referee has just pulled a card out and shown me a yellow card, and he's put the card back in his hand, and he's obviously seen that my name's on it already. So he's had to pull out a red card, you know. For the second season running, there was a strange second yellow card for City. This incident was only a few months after Kevin Horlock was sent off at Bournemouth when his second booking of the match was allegedly for walking aggressively towards the referee. The referee does dispute that, however. Morrison reckons that this sort of thing could only have happened to him. It was nothing as the papers, you know, sticking my, my tongue down his throat and... Um, and you know, and I think if the referee had remembered he'd booked me, he wouldn't have sent me off and we wouldn't be talking about it, but it's just one of them things that seemed to follow me. The Blue Moon Podcast has attempted to contact Stan Collymore to get his version of events, but he hasn't responded to our messages. Hi, this is Andy Morrison and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. I look there at Andy Morrison's red card for licking Stan Collymore. Uh, Leon, you were at the club at the time. Did anything ever get said about that? Um, well, we were. I was in the youth team at the time, um, sort of flitting between the youth team and the reserves. So we had a little laugh about, about it between ourselves. Um, but it was well known, um, Andy. Um, nice, as nice a guy as you can meet, but he he would have his moments. Let's just say <laughs> that, um, and that's you know licking stank. He probably professes that he he, he, say, he says he didn't do he it. He didn't but... do it. That he didn't touch him. He probably licked him a bit 
and I wouldn't put it past Andy to have a little taste of his nose. It's uh, it's one of those things that um, I mean, in, in terms of incidents around City, I don't, I can't explain why it happens, but it's it's the sort of thing that I remember, and I remember when mm. it happened and where it happened. Yeah. And you know, like most fans will remember great goals and great uh, great teams, great performances. I just remember daft stuff like this. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand. You love why. the drama, mate. You love the drama. <laughs> right. Well, uh, this weekend it is uh, Tottenham at home for City. Um, if West Ham was a nice way to ease into the season, Jack, this one feels like the first big challenge. Yeah, but I also think it's quite a good time to play him as well. Um, he struggled to struggle past Villa at the weekend, didn't he? Uh, doesn't seem like they were massively. I didn't watch. I didn't see the game, but it didn't seem sound like they were. Massively coherent going forward, so um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad one for the first first home game, particularly kind of after what had happened in the Champions League Champions League game last last season. You'd expect City to kind of fly out the traps big time um, and try and get an early an early lead, um, but I think they. What's what's a what is a better time to play Tottenham at home? I don't think. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if there if there is ever a, a great time to play them. I think they're. A, I think they're one of the teams that I don't expect them to put up a title challenge this season. But I think they'll be they'll be comfortably in the top four. Um, they're notoriously slow starters, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's the thing. And I think I mean the, the Harry Kane thing has now died a death. But it's 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 no coincidence that there are that there are times when in August Spurs do struggle. Is it? There's people that believe. Um, that are in the game believe that uh, Spurs play better without Harry Kane. And I know he scores all these goals, but um, you know, in particular, I think they put a lot through Harry Kane. You, you see the players actually looking for him when they probably shouldn't. Um, and even the manager, you know, um, started him in the Champions League final last season. Begs belief. I mean, how can you leave? Um, what's his face on the on the bench after what he did in the semi final? Uh, Lucas Moura. Um, so a lot of goals through through Harry Kane, but. I think Spurs will be tough. I watched the game and they didn't start really playing until Ericsson came on. So it'll be interesting to see whether he actually starts this game because I know there's a lot of speculation about him possibly moving at the minute and until the, the transfer window's shut, there's going to be speculation. But it'll be interesting to see if they start him because once he came on, then things started to tick a bit. We used to call that the King Clancy syndrome for for City. You know, every you get King, yeah. get King Clancy on the pitch and everything yeah. will be all right. Yeah. It just wasn't true. Oh, yeah. um, Jack, what do you make of Spurs at the moment? Because it feels like they almost had a good summer and then it never quite happened. They needed uh, a big, powerful centre midfielder and got one, which has got to be seen as progress for them. I don't, I don't, don't know what's going to happen with Ericsson, but to my mind, they probably don't don't need the money, do they? And uh, if they can keep him, then from an attacking perspective, that's got to be positive news. I think they kind of they get the thing about Tottenham is they now they get rid of the players that they don't want rather than having the players pinched. Whereas I know Ericsson's a, uh, a little bit up in the air, but it's a special case because of the contract. But all the others are kind of tied down a little bit. Um, all the big big players. So I think if Pochettino were to stay, you'd envisage. It becoming a three-horse race properly within a couple of years. Uh, I think they are a level above Arsenal, United, and Chelsea, but still a, a kind of half step below. Yeah, they're in their own little kind of mini league, really, yeah. aren't they? 
I think in, in terms of, uh, of this game as well, City have done weirdly quite well against Spurs recently, but they have been tight games. They were Both the league games last season were 1-0. Okay, the away game had mitigating factors of the you know the, the pitch at Wembley. And then the home game had the mitigating factors of the Champions League tie that had just gone before it. But it, it feels like like these two teams, they'll be up for a battle. Oh, it'll be open, won't it? Um, it'll be open. Uh, City are going to go at it. Uh, I don't think Spurs are going to sit back too much unless it gets kind of too much during the game. But I think both clubs, uh, both teams, both managers coming to this game looking to attack and trying to win the game. So I think you get quite an exciting game in terms of that. Jack, are you expecting much in, uh, to change for City in, uh, from the opening game? Because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, you know, Jesus started quite well, but Aguero loves a goal against Tottenham. And, you know, Mares made a case for a, a starting position at the weekend. And th- there's so many different options City have got. Yeah, um, quite, yeah, it's that old kind of origin. It's a nice problem to have. I think I would expect Aguero and Bernardo to be in from the start. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether Fernandinho plays or not. I suspect he might. Um, just because, obviously, Spurs are a couple of notches up, well, three or four notches up from West Ham, aren't they? And I don't know whether... They'd make a slight role for their own back if Rodri played, if Fernandinho's properly fit. Um, so those are the I, yeah, I could see I could see three three changes. Really, I mean, in terms of someone like Jesus, what's what what does Guardiola do to keep him happy? Essentially, because like like Jesus was saying last season, you know, he's behind Aguero, the club's greatest ever striker. He's he's, he's got that problem, but again, he puts in a performance like he did at West Ham, and then suddenly could find himself benched. Yeah, I think, but I, I think from his perspective, there's a little bit of there is that realization, isn't there, that he's not kind of, he's not going to agitate because he does realize who is the main man and who is the senior striker. The good thing from Jesus's point of view is that he recognized some of the problems in his game last year, got himself a new fitness uh, personal fitness trainer coming over from Brazil, is really kind of take taking care of himself and looks like he's come back far sharper than than last year uh, and probably sees himself as the obvious successor to Aguero rather than rather than City going out and spending kind of 80, 90, 100 million pounds on a new striker, Jesus is, is effectively putting putting a flag down and saying I'm I'm your man for the years to come so he's probably playing for that more than anything. So kind kind of quite happy to wait his time sort of thing. Yeah. Leon does does having you know a strike you know someone like that in front of you is as as uh, Jack was talking about as someone who you know you're not going to get out of the team. Um how does that affect your mentality? Is it harder to get yourself up for the games when you when you're being put in or is it easier to find yourself up? No, no, I think um the games that you put in you you're going to go and try and um show what you can do. Um, in order to try and get yourself a starting position. I think the hardest thing for him is going to be um, international football. You know, at the minute, he's probably Brazil's main striker, other than Firmino. Um, But if there's another one or two that come in and then he's not playing regularly and he's not in the the Brazilian side, because we know Brazilians are very proud nationals, they love playing for their for their country. If there's a problem that he's not getting in the squad, or he's not getting in the Brazilian team, then that's when you might find problems. How, how long Aguero's got left left at the top and being the first striker, we don't know. Um, is that another year? Is it another two years? Um, but I think with regards to Jesus, if he's not going to get into the Brazilian squad or the, the um, 
the, the Brazilian national team, first 11, that might be where you find you have problems with um, him being unsettled. Jack, Phil Foden started this one last season after the uh, the Champions League exit. It would be a surprise to see him start this time. Um, but in, in terms of him this season, do you, how much more of a role do you see him playing in the first team squad? Uh, he's been told by the manager that he'll to expect more more game time and specifically more Premier League game time. Uh, I don't quite see how that happens personally, um, particularly as you would expect Gundogan probably to play further forward than he did in the last kind of three or four months of last season. Um, it's difficult with Foden, isn't it? I mean, he could have kind of, I guess, he could have gone on loan uh, to a Premier League team in the summer and got a year under his belt, but then that's a year away from the City first team. And does he want to do that at this stage? I don't I don't know. Does he still feel he's got kind of, he's happy, similar to Jesus, he's happy to bide his time for a year or so. Generally, if you go away on loan from City as well, though, that, that's more or less it, isn't it? I mean, Angelino's the only real exception to that. Yeah, I mean, he's a li- Foden's a special case, isn't he? Um, and does need regular games, and how do they how do they manage manage that going forward? Uh, I don't know, and it'll be fascinating to see to see how they do it. The other problem with the loan is that he would Foden sees himself as someone who can really compete in the Premier League already. So where would he go? There's only a, a small number of clubs where he would feel where he'd fit. Um, and you look at the style of play, quite a lot of the teams in the lower um, the lower end of the Premier League table, how they play, he's not really going to fit in. And any kind of suggestion of him going to the Championship was just kibosh completely. He just no intention of doing that. So it's probably only about four or five clubs that would fit, and I know they, they got a, they got an offer from there was an offer from one bigish club last January, and that was not back because Pep said I want him I want him here I want him by my side, and then kind of on on tour in Japan he spoke glowingly of him and said he's the best young player he's ever he's ever worked with, and that seemed. That seemed genuine to me. Right, well, uh, there's nothing in the kitty for the season yet, so pull your fingers out, guys. Uh, we've got to win us some money for the charity bet. We're working with William Hill to raise money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester. Uh, it's one prediction again this week, Spurs at home. I'm, I'm going to kick off with this one. Uh, I've I've gone for a 2-1 City win. I think it'd be quite a tight uh, a tight affair. 7-1 uh, to one with William Hill, so £70 if I'm right. Uh, uh, Jack, what are you going for? 4-1. Uh, which hopefully is going to make quite a lot of money. Uh, a 4-1 battering would be uh, 14 to 1 and £140 if you're right, Leon. I've gone 3-2 City. 3-2 to City. A, a goal fest is 20 to 1, so uh, £200 if you're right. So I hope one of you two is right, not going to lie. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Uh, it's now time for Howard Hawking. He's talking about City's punishment from FIFA over the transfer breaches. <laughs> So the season is back, and that's really exciting, right? Well, maybe not, because it's now official. Not only are City masters of the dark arts, but they're also boring. This is quite the progression from the barely stifled sniggering of two years ago, and it's proclaimed by many that the English game had defeated Pep, his methods wouldn't work here, and that the end was nigh. 
the bald fraud, the boring bald fraud. So at what point were you bored sitting watching the West Ham match at the weekend? I can't recall any moments myself. Even the home fans had interest, VAR provided them with the biggest cheer of the afternoon. But with a tough game approaching this weekend, it just makes the claims even more laughable. But should City comfortably dispatch Spurs, you wonder what the next move would be for our mainstream media. We could take the UEFA route and look to change the rules once more in a last-ditch attempt to preserve the old status quo. Perhaps added points for having a history, no empty seats and noodle sponsors. You can always alter a coefficient or change the Champions League draw rules so that City have to be drawn against the strongest teams in pots 2, 3 and 4. Because the rules state, of course, we can't play an Austrian team on a Tuesday if our shorts are the same colour or the month starts in an N. Rules are rules, after all. Now, I promised to David on WhatsApp on Monday that I would not mention the media again this week as it was boring for me and especially for you. I lasted two days once news broke of City avoiding the transfer ban. Ah well, the thought was there, so I'd like to apologise in advance. Now, three major newspapers at least reported City getting a two-window transfer ban as factual, inevitable, a done deal. This naturally was read and digested by Fancy United, Liverpool, Chelsea, et al. Then, when the actual punishment is announced, the view is reinforced that City got away with murder, are corrupt and that money talks. Stories run as City went for an unprecedented quadruple as well last March, timed perfectly to undermine any subsequent achievements. Now money does talk of course, and City have tons of it, but so do all the other big clubs investigated for similar offences, like Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Liverpool and more. Didn't seem to be as chatty on those occasions. Just maybe each case is unique and subject to different conclusions. Now there's a thought. Now I don't know what punishment is right and just for City's actions. Nobody does really. It's subjective and impossible to gauge. And that's part of the problem too. But with this type of media coverage, fans with no knowledge whatsoever of what City have done wrong, or the scale of punishments that are generally doled out, are now given an expectation that that when not met can be met with fury and indignation. In fact, those that did not have to rely on vague media sources predicting large punishments brings us to the club itself, Manchester City. They probably knew what was coming, which may explain the lack of desperation in buying another centre-half. Anyway, the mainstream paper's coverage of the charges and investigations present only one side of the argument, or clearly weight their headlines and leading paragraphs that way, so we know which side of the fence they sit on. The same side when covering the German newspaper's coverage of illegally hacked emails. The outrage that follows is almost inevitable, therefore. As for Chelsea, they may have genuine reasons for a grievance, as they believe they were following FA guidelines correctly before those guidelines were clarified. But the fact remains the scale of their investigation was on a different level, and City cooperating throughout and accepting charges early helps reduce punishment, as per English law, which, as we all know, is the cradle of democracy. It's tough on Chelsea as they would not plead guilty to something they didn't consider themselves guilty of, but hoping that City too get harshly treated helps no one. Though in their defence I have also seen mentioned the fact that they did not have a right to plead guilty were not given the chance. If so, this paints rather a different picture. 29 breaches though compared to 2 is quite a difference, as is the fact that they've been done for this before. So, Liverpool too by the Premier League, and City too I imagine, and others. It's almost as if everyone is as bad as each other when trying to snare the talent of tomorrow. Not sure any fans of the bigger clubs can take the moral high ground over this, in the same way that fans of clubs whose shirts and stadiums are sponsored with Middle Eastern state-linked money 
don't get to lecture City fans on human rights. City cannot pressure FIFA into giving them lenient punishments any more than Chelsea can. If we were comparing City and a much smaller team, there may be the faintest grounds for conspiracy theories to flourish, though to be honest, they will anyway. I do understand to some extent the frustration by Chelsea fans at getting a tough deal, or what they see as one, but every case is different. What's more, the outrage at the lack of a ban is fuelled by the fading hope that a ban is the only way to curtail City's dominance, which some now seem to think is inevitable, even though it is not. By not buying so many players for a year, it would level the playing field. Now, sorry to disappoint you all, though your hope wasn't really based on solid evidence anyway, but would this team really fall apart if they couldn't buy players for a year or so? The replacement for David Silva is already here after all, twice. This is a FIFA investigation of course, next up is the UEFA one, for which a ban was also imminent six months ago. Will they be swayed by the lack of a ban for City from FIFA? They shouldn't of course, and now any decision has to be backed up with evidence, or else City's legal team will be all over it. The next hope is that financial fair play discretions lead to a Champions League ban, a real possibility. The mainstream media has already hinted that Pep might leave without Champions League football. Wishful thinking once more no doubt. And our situation here could go either way. For City, perhaps they thought the FIFA investigation was the most damaging one, potentially, as they admitted guilt in that. However, by not admitting guilt over the UEFA charge, and clinging to the argument of following guidelines that were unclear, technicalities and the issue of moving goalposts from UEFA, they do open themselves up to a bigger punishment, as Chelsea discovered. September may answer such uncertainty, but City are hardly going to take any punishment lying down, so this one could drag on for some time, leaving the internet warriors plenty of time to shriek about how City ride roughshod over the rules once more. And what's more, if City do not get a Champions League ban, Twitter will be full of comments of how UEFA has lost all credibility. Yep, the organisation that hands out £3,000 fines for racist abuse is now seen as the final bastion of fair play and democracy, the last chance to stop the evil empire that is Manchester City. What a world we live in. But the press coverage works. Even news of City's fine led with the suggestion City had chosen their own punishment before moving on to the rather important detail of the scope of City's investigation being rather smaller than the Chelsea one that preceded it. It's subliminal and it works, controlling the masses like Cambridge Analytica telling you how to vote via Facebook ads, like the Brexit vote all over again but with football tribalism thrown in and the basis of all Twitter shrieking, namely the feeling that your club is so hard done by. Well, we've all been no streakers at one time or another. I probably will be again later. And that's how you come full circle, because listening to this drivel day in, day out, from claims that City don't have to adhere to the rules, like everyone else, to tactical fouling claims, to empty seats, to fans claiming that City got away with something that was exactly the same as Chelsea got done for, even though it wasn't the same and they've never read a single word on either case, and could not tell you a single detail. But hey, everyone has a voice, even Katie Hopkins and Donald Trump, and then you begin to wonder what truly is the most boring thing in football right now. All this I've described over the past seven minutes or so, or watching a football team led by one of the greatest managers ever play beautiful football on a regular basis. It's a tough one. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Peter Reid, ex-player, ex-manager. Hope you'd enjoy it. 
This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now, uh, just before we move on, Jack, have, have you been surprised that City didn't get a, a transfer ban after all the fuss that was uh, that was made about this? Uh, yes, I am surprised that they didn't, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not, which I, I realise is a rubbish answer, but I'm surprised <laughs> that FIFA didn't come down hard on them and uh, want to make an example of them and want to make a point like they did with Chelsea. But on the flip side, City, as far as I understand, had two breaches in signing uh, minors, whereas Chelsea had 29 which would, uh, which would, well, which shows why there is a kind of there's a, there's discrepancy there, between the punishments. Yeah, I think the the the, the thing is as well. Uh, there was a statement on the club website which reads: uh, the club accepts responsibility for the breaches which arose as a result of misinterpretation of regulations in question. All the breaches occurred before December 2016, when guidance on the interpretation of the pre of the provisions was issued. Since which date Manchester City has been fully compliant? So that so the other side of it as well, they, they've hold, they've held the hands up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the important thing to do. You could, well, there's no point in... If you know you've done wrong, there's no point in saying, oh, no, we haven't. Because it'll just agitate governing bodies even more, won't it? Yeah. And that, I mean, that'll be... In, it'll be interesting to see how uh, the, the the Spiegel stuff and UEFA plays out because City have been so steadfast in saying, you know, this is not this is not true. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see on that one. I think because it's uh, I don't think call it a hunch, but I don't think that one's going away. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? It's time for uh, to, for ask the panel. Get your questions sent in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email via the website bluemoonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram as well these days. Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Kira Murray sent us a fax. Why did it never work out for City with Eliakim Mangala? And what have we learnt from the transfer? What is the panel's favourite Mangala memory? Hall away, I suppose. Oh, yeah, well, I mean... I mean, I wasn't in Manchester at that point, but I remember watching on the telly and thinking, who on earth is this? But as a second game, whacking one into your own net and giving away a penalty, you can't really... <laughs> it, was, it was eventful, let's say. I mean, on a more serious note, why why do you think it never really worked out? Why did City target someone like that for so long and then it just not work so spectacularly? Well, you've kind of seen it with other famous football clubs, probably in this city recently, that you kind of you can scout... Um, you can scout players for as long as you want, and then they can turn out to be absolute duds, can't they? Just that's just the way, just the way it works. And City were City were a different club in 2014, and were more willing to throw money at what at players who could be kind of perceived as gambles. Um, the transfer business seemed to be a little bit more desperate, um, and you, you know you combine you combine that with uh, I can't say poor scouting, but kind of people who kind of misread his ability. I suppose if you if you marry those two together, then you've got Willian Mangala, haven't you? you but I mean, the big thing is that they, or the ridiculous thing is that they gave him a new contract in March because they thought they were going to get some value out of him this summer, and then no one would pay any money for him, so they've been <laughs> saddled with an extra few weeks worth his wages. In terms of of transfers, though, Leon, is there anything City can take from this? Is that I mean, we've seen under Guardiola in the last couple of seasons, the transfer policy has been very sensible. This, as Jack says, harks back to a time when maybe it wasn't quite as sensible. Mm -hmm. Are there any lessons to be learnt from this sort of deal? Well, I think at the time uh, he was being talked about as one of the best centre-halves in the world. Um, There was a lot of hype around him and City probably brought into that. But in all honesty, um, any transfer you make 
you know, people talk about taking a risk with a transfer. There's no guarantees when you try, you know, take a player from another club that that's going to work out. Um, you've got the the fact that the style of the team changes, the managers change. Um, there are so many different variables that can affect a player coming to a club and, and not doing well. So um, you're taking a gamble every single time you sign a player, but um, by all accounts, he was meant to be the next best thing. Um, he was big, strong, fast and left-footed. Uh, so he ticks every single box that you're looking for in a, in a you know, a centre-half that comes along maybe once or twice in a generation. It didn't work out for him. That's not to say he was a poor player. It just didn't work out for him. I think that probably shows that they kind of they were far more reactive back then yeah. to what people within the game were saying as well. Hundred mm, yeah. percent. Prem Prem not suited to you, pal. I think was the uh, was the line, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I have got another good moment from him actually when they kitted him out in the D squared gear last year, or maybe the year before on tour, and it was like, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> it, it didn't look like he knew what day of, day of the week it was. To be honest. I was going to throw in the Santa hat at, uh, at Old Trafford. Was that in 2017-18? Um, when he was warming up in the Santa hat and Guardiola just looked at him and went, what are you doing? Get that off your head. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at his uh, games played. I didn't think he played a game for the last three years. He's ended up, he played about 20 or so. Yeah, just, he got he's... he got a medal in the Centurion season, didn't he? he thought, I thought he I thought he did enough to get a medal that year. He played, yeah, he played like nine Premier League games. They must have just completely passed me by. As, as did most games with Mangala, I think was the um, was the thing. Um, on a similar sort of note, uh, Adam Carter's been in touch on the emails to say, excluding Sergio Aguero's debut, who do you think had the best City debut? And the reason he's done that is because he would actually go for Mangala. Mangala on his debut um, had uh, it, it was it was City against Chelsea. It was a one-all draw at uh, at the Etihad, and he had Diego Costa in his pocket throughout the entire game. And City fans never saw that form from him again. So, I mean, if you take out Sergio Aguero, is anybody that uh, that you remember, Leon, coming in, coming into the club and just absolutely storming it on the debut? Are we talking? Are we going as far back as, as far you, back as, as you, you want, want here yeah. as well? Um, I tell you, you had a storming start and didn't really follow it up. Terry Cook, he came and there was this. He had this. I remember watching him in training. He'd take a touch and he'd whip the ball in behind the the, the defense. And at the time, there was Sean Goat or Paul Dickov who thrived on those types of balls. And I remember for about, it must have been a good 10, 15 games. He was just bang, bang, bang. And again and again and again. Again and again and again. And everyone thought he was going to have such a great career at City. And, it, and obviously, it didn't work out that way. And um, I don't know if you know the contract thing um, with, the, with the amount of games he needed to play and money being paid. And he didn't play for such a long time. But when he first came to, to City, he was flying. The the one I wanted to throw in was uh, was Ali Benabia. Um from from memory. I think he was on the flight from Paris at twelve, yeah, and then put his boots on, and it was somebody else's boots. I think he borrowed somebody else's yeah. boots for the for the game against Birmingham at three, and then ran the show. It was it was a phenomenal performance. He, I mean, he was in the second tier, but it was still he was outrageous. Um, I, I trained with him and Ail Berkovic many times, and if they were on the same team, forget about it. You can get the ball off them. They were they were absolutely ridiculous. Um. I've say I've never seen. I have seen it, but it up close and personal to watch two players who seem to know where everybody else is on the pitch every single time they get the ball and before they get the ball. Um, I've never seen anything like it. They were top players. 
And finally, Harry Stopes has been in touch on Twitter to ask, uh, do you feel that following football is getting slightly less and less fun in the Premier League period? And if so, what kind of time frame do you imagine just packing it in? Which is a bit of a heavy, uh, it's a bit of a heavy question, but uh, I, I suppose it, it kind of brings us full circle back to VAR. Yeah, it's, um, well, that and the, like, swathes of quality gap between the top and the bottom. Um, it's like, well, I know someone someone wrote in the Telegraph after the uh, West Ham games, like, watching City's becoming boring. Now, the football's not becoming boring, but the results are, like, you just expect them every week, don't you? It's, I don't know, it's, it seems to be different things happening every year, be it kind of teams getting miles too good, other teams dropping off, and rule changes that make you just roll your eyes and go, oh, here we go again. And the other thing is that the from a supporter's point of view, that the, the players are so far removed from them now. It's just a completely different game, isn't it? It always feels like we're talking about the next thing that's going to destroy football, Liam, but it, it never does. Do you know mm. what I mean? It always feels yeah. like, we're, like, we're, like we're, we're ready to hit the doom and gloom button when mm. actually it, things are just evolving and changing. Yeah, it's just evolving and changing. The game's changed. I mean, if you look at the simple fact, some of, some of the fees are being paid for some, some players. Um, some of the money that's involved in the game in terms, I mean, and don't get me wrong, um, you know, if a player is paid a certain amount by a club, then he's worth that because the club decided that he's worth that. Um, but I just, you know, you're getting into uh, 80 million, 90 million, 100 million for, for players that really should be 30 and 40. Um, so... I don't think there's anything going to destroy the game. What I do think will happen is there'll be a breakaway at some point. But in terms of teams becoming too good, um, I think that's just a, a cyclical thing. I don't think one team stays at the top for um, a period of time where they can't be brought down. I know a lot of City fans listening to this will go, well, you know, football isn't boring. Look at the football that City are playing. But as the kind of the point is that's okay for City fans, but maybe not for the, for others. Is that right? Yeah, not not for the wide. I mean, don't please don't misunderstand me. I love watching them. I yeah, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think from your kind of casual viewer who's sitting at home at half five on a Saturday or watching match of the day at half ten on a Saturday, they're, they're just watching the same thing over and over again, aren't they? At the moment, and the the other thing, it's fine if it's cyclical and kind of teams will will dip and then come back but the difference now is that the money at the top is so extravagant that you'll if you if you're in that top two three four now you'll pull away even further and that has been happening for the last 10 years which means we've just got this massive gap that only kind of Leicester have managed in that strange season, Leicester are the only ones that have managed to have broken in, really. I think I think that's an interesting point, but I also think that because you now have swathes of um, billionaire owners coming into into the country and, and buying football clubs, that that gap again will be closed, you know. And you're going to find that with a lot more football clubs, you know, Newcastle will get sold at some point. Um, Everton have now got money. Um, for me, it, it'll just keep going until. At some point, it'll bottom out, and as I say, I think there'll be a split. Right, well, uh, on that cheery note, uh, it's time for uh, for the end of this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much to, uh, to my two guests, to Leon Mike. Thank you very much. And Jack Gorn, thank you very much for stepping in at the last second. Thank you. 
And if you'd like some bonus Blue Moon podcasts, then you can sign up to be a $2 a month Patreon backer. You'll get an extra 10 to 15 minute show each week. If you'd like to get yourself on that bonus show, then you can sign up to be a $10 a month backer. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. This week's bonus show is all about the best goals that City have conceded. Uh, we'll be back next week to review the game against Spurs, and we'll also hear from former City striker Darren Huckabee. So join us then. Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.